0: Well, good evening to you, everyone. Um, I'm delighted to be with you again tonight. Oh, hallelujah! We have a wonderful lesson tonight, and I'm enjoying um, covering these with you as we study the Feast of the Lord. And so, I just pray that tonight's lesson will be a blessing to you as well. Let's get started, and we trust that that this will be strong all through, and that God will speak. And I apologize if it's a A long lesson tonight, but there is a a good bit to cover tonight, and it's going to be rich. And so I trust that the Lord will bless you through it. Father, in Jesus' name, I thank you, Father, for this opportunity to share your word with those who uh, who will tune in at some point, whether live or later on. I pray that your word will go forth in power and in might and that you will accomplish that which you have ordained and that which you desire with your word in the heart of every person that will tune in tonight. And so, Father, I commit it to you, and I ask your blessing in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, God bless you, and I'm I'm delighted again to be with you. I want to move right into this. This is our feast uh, study, the Feast of the Lord, where we are discovering Jesus and how they're fulfilled, and they're all tied to Christ in some form or fashion, and he is the fulfillment of them. So tonight we move from taking the first three spring feasts, Passover, Unleavened Bread, and Firstfruits that all occurred within the same time period, within a week or so of each, you know, within the week of each other, um, Passover day, and then Unleavened Bread for seven days, and then fruits fell within that, that week's time of Unleavened Bread. And we saw in the last few lessons how Jesus fulfilled those. So tonight we're moving into Pentecost. Now, let's consider this. To move from Pentecost to from to move from excuse me, from first fruits to Pentecost, the Pentecost is the final annual spring feast. And remember last week when we were talking about the Feast of First Fruits in the last couple of lessons, that first fruits marked the beginning of, um, of an, a countdown or a count up. To another great feast of the Lord. And it was anticipation of the next great act of God that was coming. And so each day, beginning with the day of first fruits, welcome as you join in. Each day from first fruits, not from Passover day when Jesus was crucified, but from first fruits when Jesus rose from the dead. Beginning that day, that was day one of the Omer count, and they counted for 50 days till we get to the next feast. All right? So the next feast will be um, the next great move of God, and that's what we're moving into tonight. And so it was in anticipation and faith of a harvest, not only from the barley harvest that they were celebrating during that time, but of the next great harvest cycle and type of grain that was coming. And if you'll remember, we studied how the uh, sheaves represent people. We see that from Genesis 37 in Joseph's dream. Sheave, a sheaf or sheaves in scripture represent people. So we know that this, because we're going to study again about sheaves um, and the harvest It's about the harvest that God has for us, a harvest of souls. All right. So this is a count up. And we're counting up to what's called the Feast of Weeks in the Scripture. Weeks, like Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, that full week. It's the Feast of Weeks. That's what the biblical um, translation is in our English Bibles. For, For the Jewish people, it's called Shavuot. And it's also called Pentecost. And most of the time, the church knows it as the Feast of Pentecost. And so there's two places I'd like for us to read a few scriptures about this in the Old Testament, and then we're going to dive in and see the the resulting way that Christ has fulfilled this. So let's dive into this. First of all, Leviticus 23, again, is our summary of all the various feasts that God has commanded. So we're going to read in Leviticus 23, verses 15 through 23. So verse 15 says, And you shall count for yourselves from the day after the Sabbath, from the day that you brought, from the day that you brought the sheaf of the wave offering. Remember, that was first fruits. That was the day of Jesus' resurrection from the dead. The count begins then. Okay? From the day that you brought the sheaf of the wave offering, seven Sabbaths shall be completed. Count 50 days to the day after the seventh Sabbath. Then you shall offer a new grain offering to the Lord. You shall bring from your dwellings two wave loaves of two tenths of an ephath. They shall be of fine flour. They shall be baked with leaven. They are the first fruits to the Lord. And you shall offer with the bread seven lambs of the first year without blemish, one young bull and two rams, and they shall be a burnt offering to the Lord. With their grain offering and their drink offerings, an offering made by fire for a sweet aroma to the Lord. Then you shall sacrifice one kid and a goat as a sin offering and two male lambs of the first year as a sacrifice of a peace offering. The priest shall wave them with the bread of the first fruits as a wave offering before the Lord with the two lamps. They shall be holy to the Lord for the priest, and you shall proclaim on the same day that it is a holy convocation to you. You shall do no customary work on it. It shall be a statute forever in all your dwellings throughout your generations. When you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not wholly reap the corners of your field when you reap, nor shall you gather any gleanings any gleaning from your harvest. You shall leave them for the poor and for the stranger. I am the Lord your God. All right, so here we have the instructions, the beginning instructions for this. There are several other scriptures that give us that. There's one that we're going to look at here in in a moment. But some other scripture passages, passages for you, Exodus 32, 22, Leviticus chapter two, Numbers 28, verses 26 through 31, and now we're going to turn to Deuteronomy chapter 16, and we're going to read verses 9 through 12. Deuteronomy chapter 16, verses 9 through 12. You shall count seven weeks for yourself. Begin to count the seven weeks from the time you begin to put the sickle to the grain. There again, it's another reference to first fruits because if you'll remember, they could not put the sickle to their grain and reap their harvest of barley until after they had presented the first fruit omer to the Lord. Then they could go back and put the sickle to the grain that day and begin to eat and enjoy their harvest. All right. Then you shall keep the feast of weeks to the Lord your God with the tribute of a free will offering from your hand which you shall give as the Lord your God blesses you. You shall rejoice before the Lord your God, you and your son and your daughter, your male servant and your female servant, the Levite who is within your gates, the stranger and the fatherless and the widow who are among you at the place where the Lord your God chooses to make his name abide, which we know to be Jerusalem. Welcome to you joining in. And you shall remember that you were a slave in Egypt, and you shall be careful to observe these statutes. So here from these scriptures that we've read and the other scriptures I gave you, we have the details about the Feast of Weeks. And so we want to go over that now for the rest of our time together. If you'll remember, first fruits was the Omer offering that spoke to us about Jesus' resurrection and his first ascension. Remember, he had to appear to the Father in heaven to present the Omer offering to the Lord, and that's why Mary couldn't touch him before he ascended. But then that same day, he returned to the apostles, and they were able to handle him that same day, because he had been, a, been to the throne room of God, presented the Omer offering to the Father, and now was returning back, all right? So first fruits initiated this count up. And the feast, if you'll remember, all of them were centered on harvest cycles. So first fruits was centered around the harvest of the barley. Weeks, or Pentecost, is the feast that celebrates the harvest of the wheat. The wheat. And then tabernacles, the last of them will uh, celebrate the harvest of the fruit and the other final harvest, um, figs and grain, uh, grapes and different things like that. This count up that began on the day of Jesus' resurrection on the Feast of first fruits day one of the Omer offering, they had to count for 50 days and they began that count, and then they would count every day. And they would call it the counting, Omer counting day one, two, three, etc., all the way down. And so first fruits sometimes can get overlooked, remember, because it's in the line of Passover. That whole celebration now is kind of termed Passover, but it was its own feast. There was Passover unleavened bread and first fruits. And so just remember that. First fruits was crucial for us to understand because Paul tells us if Jesus didn't raise from the dead, then our faith is in vain. So the resurrection of Jesus Christ is very important. And so that began the count. Now, it's interesting that during this 50-day count, every day of the 50 days, the Jews would read certain portions from Scripture. And one of those was Psalm 67. And it's interesting that this was read and recited every day when we look at Psalm 67. It's a short psalm, so I'd like to read it. It says, God be merciful to us and bless us and cause his face to shine upon us that your way may be known on earth, your salvation among all nations. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. O let the nations be glad and sing for joy. For you shall judge the people righteously and govern the nations on earth. Selah. Let the people praise you, O God. Let all the people praise you. Then the earth shall yield her increase. God, our own God, shall bless us. God shall bless us, and all the ends of the earth shall fear him. Hallelujah. So we we read that psalm, or they read that psalm every day as they're counting this Omer in anticipation of the Feast of Weeks. And it's interesting because this is anticipating, according to Psalm 67 here, a yield, a a yield from the earth. And the feasts are around that harvest from the earth. Notice that when we will see this fulfilled in the book of Acts, it's a harvest of souls from the earth. It's a yield. The earth yields the harvest of souls. Hallelujah. And also this psalm correlates with the fulfillment of Pentecost, because it's asking for God's blessing upon us to reach the world for Jesus, so that all the nations of the earth will fear him, so that all the nations of the earth will know about him and come to him and love him. Hallelujah. So this 50th day in this count is the Feast of Weeks. Like I said, it's also known as Pentecost. We, we generally refer to it as Pentecost. It's also called Shavuot, or the Feast of Harvest, and it celebrates the wheat harvest. Now, I've done a teaching, and it's on YouTube, and I don't mind when the video is done. I'll put it in the comments to the link to that. But it's about Peter being, when Jesus warned him that the devil said he wanted to sift him as wheat, and it's very interesting when you tie that with this feast and understand that the Feast of Weeks is about the wheat harvest. And Peter is going to go through the sifting process. And so I just want to make you aware of that teaching. It would it would be one that you may want to look at and listen to. And uh, it can give you some more information about how that was fulfilled and how that brought Peter to the place that we see him at in Acts when we get to this feast. Hallelujah. All right. This observance of the week's feast, it was one of the pilgrimage feasts, so everybody in Jerusalem had to come. I mean, everybody in the land had to come to Jerusalem when the temple was standing and all of that, and they would come to bring their choicest wheat and offer it to the Lord. This was the first of their wheat harvest, and they had to trust him. It was a tithe of the harvest, and in giving it to God, they were trusting God for a remaining harvest to come for more wheat to come that they could then eat and live on and sell for their livelihoods. This harvest and this feast celebration included a meal offering and there were there was an additional burnt offering and, and meal offering that had to go with it, but the one in particular that the, the Bible records and that we read in, in our lesson earlier is that it had to have two wave loaves of bread And in scripture, this makes me think of the understanding of the two being Jew and Gentile. Jew and Gentile together are represented in this feast of Pentecost or feast of weeks. And we're going to see that when we get to the fulfillment in the book of Acts. The two wavelengths, wave loaves, show us Jew and Gentile. And then notice that these wave loaves were to be made of very fine wheat flour that had been sifted, ground, and violently shaken many times where all chaff and dirt was removed, and it was fine flour. Hallelujah. So you will understand a little more about that if you, if you do want to listen to that Peter um, video that I have on my YouTube channel. But it's interesting that it will be fitting that Peter is the one, the one that's chosen on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2 to deliver the word to those who have gathered because the fulfillment of this feast is found in Acts chapter 2. And we'll talk more about that in a few moments. These two wave loaves, notice this, they had to be made of leavened bread. This was the only feast where God required that they offer him the loaves with leaven. The other feast had to be unleavened bread. We just saw that in the Feast of Unleavened Bread a few lessons ago. Remember in scripture that leaven represents sin. Now, I want you to understand this. God is not saying that we offer sin to him or that he wants us to sin or anything like that. But I want you to understand a little more about it in the fact that we are sinful. We are born with a sinful nature. We are people that prior to Christ's redemption and salvation, we are sinners. And God comes down in his grace, saves and calls us, draws us to himself, redeems us, and saves us. So we're no longer longer leavened in that sense. But yet we still, even after salvation, are in a human body with a sinful nature. So it's interesting that this feast is the one that calls for leavened bread to be used. And that will come a little clearer here in a minute. These two loaves are cooked with the leaven. And this is also called first fruits to the Lord. Again, this is a first fruit of the wheat harvest And it celebrates that first of the crop. All of this observance was an offering made by fire for a sweet aroma to God. In the New Testament, we'll see later how Paul says that we are a fragrance of Christ. Excuse me. The priest would take those two loaves of the leavened bread for this feast and they would wave them as we looked at last week. They would wave them up and down and side to sun, or north and south, and east and west, and so it, it it's interesting because it does seem to form a shape of a cross, even in that waving, hallelujah. Pentecost was also a high Sabbath day, so for that particular week, Saturday was a Sabbath, that was their normal Sabbath, but also Sunday was a Sabbath for this particular feast observance, all priests had to be on duty in the temple because they would have thousands and thousands of people that would come from all over the land to observe the feast. Um, they had to leave the gleanings for the poor, if you'll remember. that, Once they started reaping the harvest, they couldn't reap it all and forget about people that had no, no uh, sustenance of their own and had no ability to provide for themselves. They had to leave gleanings for the poor. And we see that uh, perfectly laid out in the book of Ruth. Boaz was one who honored God's commandment. He was the son of Rahab and Salmon. And he honored God's commandment. He had been brought up to fear the Lord and to know him by his parents. And so uh, Ruth comes and she ends up gleaning in his field, beginning at the barley harvest, through the wheat harvest, and probably into the fall harvest cycle. It's very possible that she gleaned in Boaz's field for several months, five, six months maybe, before she ends up marrying Boaz in chapter three and four. It's interesting too that the book of Ruth is read by the Jews every Pentecost observance. They have certain scripture readings, Exodus 19 through 20, which is where we have the giving of the law, Ezekiel one and two, Habakkuk three and the book of Ruth are some of the readings that they do on every Pentecost. Now, I want us to turn to the book of Ezekiel, and I want you to see some powerful things uh, that God showed to Ezekiel, and I'd like for us to talk about that. Now, I'm not gonna read all of chapter one. It's a very long chapter, and it talks about some things that might get kind of strange to us, and we might not fully understand all of those things, But I do want to read a few things. Now, if you remember, Ezekiel was a captive in Babylon um, when he went away. And he was part of the he was part of those that were in the captivity of Babylon. So he was not even in Jerusalem. But God gives him visions and he gives him dreams and he reveals things to him. And so he is considered one of the prophets. He's one of the major prophets. So let's read Ezekiel. I'd like to read verses 1 through 17 to you. Now it came to pass in the 30th year, in the fourth month, on the fifth day of the month, as I was among the captives by the river Chebar, that the heavens were opened and I saw visions of God. On the fifth day of the month, which was in the fifth year of King Jehoiakim's captivity, the word of the Lord came expressly to Ezekiel the priest, the son of Buzi, In the land of the Chaldeans by the river Shebar, and the hand of the Lord was upon him there. Then I looked, now this is Ezekiel writing, and he says, Then I looked, and behold, a whirlwind was coming out of the north, a great cloud with raging fire engulfing itself, and brightness was all around it and radiating out of its midst like the color of amber, out of the midst of the fire. Also from within it came the likeness of four living creatures. This was their appearance. They had the likeness of a man. Each one had four faces and each one had four wings. Here we go. We're into some of the stuff that we may not fully understand, but don't let it scare you. Their legs were straight and the soles of their feet were like the soles of calves. Calves feet, excuse me. They sparkled like the color of burnished bronze. The hands of a man were under their wings on their four sides and each of the four had faces and wings. Their wings touched one another. The creatures did not turn when they went, but each one went straight forward. As for the likeness of their faces, each had the face of a man. Each of the four had the face of a lion on the right side. Each of the four had the face of an ox on the left side. And each of the four had the face of an eagle. Thus were their faces. Their wings stretched upward. Two wings of each one touched one another. Two covered their bodies, and each one went straight forward. They went wherever the spirit wanted them to go, and they did not turn when they went. As for the likeness of the living creatures, their appearance was like the burning coals of fire, like the appearance of torches going back and forth among the living creatures. The fire was bright, and out of the fire went lightning, and the living creatures ran back and forth in appearance like a flash of lightning. Now, as I looked at the living creatures, behold, a wheel was on the earth beside each living creature with its four faces. The appearance of the wheels and their workings was like the color of beryl, and all four had the same likeness. The appearance of their workings was, as it were, a wheel in the middle of a wheel. When they moved, they went toward any one of the four directions they did not turn aside when they went. And you can go on and it talks more about the wheel inside the wheel and all of those things. And so I understand that there's a lot of things there that we may not understand and it's worthy of another study. But what I want to point out to you is that Ezekiel here is getting a vision of the glory of God. And so he sees this cloud with this raging fire engulfing itself and these four living creatures and all of that. But he's also being transported to see a futuristic event. And and that event, I believe, is the fulfillment on the day of Pentecost. And it's interesting because Ezekiel chapter one is one of the things that is read every um, Pentecost by the Jewish people. Now, let me comment on a few other things, and then we're coming back to this concept between Ezekiel one and the fulfillment in the New Testament in a few moments. I want you to understand a few more things about Pentecost. The Jews believe that it is also representing the giving of the law on mount sinai which is why they read also exodus chapter 19 and 20. so they commemorate that that as well and its symbolism to them all right and so for instance barney uh i believe it is has in god's appointed times that he says this when presenting a meat offering the priest first brought it in the golden or silver dish in which it had been prepared and then transferred it to a holy vessel, putting oil and frankincense upon it. Every meat offering was accompanied by a drink offering of wine, which was poured at the base of the altar. And it makes me think of this. When we come as one vessel before the Lord, we come as one vessel, but after the anointing of the Holy Spirit, we're transferred and made into a new vessel, a holy vessel. He also points out how... This was accompanied by that drink offering or that wine obligation or that wine oblation. In Acts chapter two, if you'll remember, they're accused of being drunk with wine. But in reality, the drink offering of the Old Testament spoke prophetically of being filled with the spirit. In Ephesians chapter five, verses uh, verse 18, I just want to read this one verse to you quickly here. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18, it says this, Do not and do not be drunk with wine in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. And as I was preparing for this, I just want to point this out. The freedom, there is freedom available for anyone who has struggled with any form of alcoholism or any addictions in in that nature, anything like that, rather than being filled with wine. Paul is telling people there, be filled with the Spirit of God. Be intoxicated by the Spirit of God. Let the Spirit of God fill you inside. Be saturated with the Holy Spirit, so much so that you're filled to overflowing and it's bubbling out of you and onto other people. And it's interesting because that can be through one-on-one ministry, maybe at lunches or in some small group or friendships or family members, one to one. It could be in various ministries, various times when that filling of the over of the Holy Spirit will overflow out of you, minister to other people. It might be in a small group setting. It doesn't have to be a large amount or large crowd. It could be at any time. There may be, you may be sitting in a restaurant or in a store and the spirit of the Lord might come upon you and because you're filled with the spirit and he is directing you perhaps to pray for an individual or to, to talk to someone or whatever it may be, or you're talking with a friend or whatever and trying to help them in the Lord and the spirit of God will give you words to say to them, things like that. So, Paul is telling us, don't, don't go for wine. Don't go for earthly wine and things like that. Instead, instead seek to be filled with the spirit of God. Let the spirit of God fill you and take over and fill you to overflowing, all right? And then also Barney Kasdan <clears throat> makes a note of the connection with the giving of the law on Mount Sinai with this Feast of Pentecost. It's interesting How in the New Testament, Paul and others, other of the New Testament writers, show us the contrast for believers between the law and the spirit. And the contrast between keeping of rules of do's and don'ts versus living by the spirit. And in the giving of the law, in the new covenant, if you look in Jeremiah 31 and in Hebrews 8, where it talks about the new covenant, Hebrews 8 is quoting Jeremiah, where it talks about the new covenant. It it says there that uh, the the new covenant, if you look in that new covenant, and I just lost my train of thought, (laughs) I'm a human being like you are, but God will bring it back to me. In the new covenant, God says that he will write his law on our hearts. Praise God, he did bring it back to me. He writes his law on our hearts. And that's through the work of the Holy Spirit. It's through the revelation of the Holy Spirit. It's through those rhema words that he gives to us. And so that's more of the living in the Spirit that the New Testament is talking about. So there is that connection with the giving of the law. And it's in the law versus the Spirit of God, who is the one who gives us revelation of the Word of God. The law represents the Word of God to us. And the Holy Spirit is the one that gives us the revelation Hallelujah. David Stern makes a comment in the Jewish New Testament commentary, and he says on Shavuot or Pentecost, the first fruits of the wheat harvest were presented to Adonai in the temple. The offering consisted of two loaves of bread baked with leaven, with leavened flowers, and it celebrated God's provision. In other words, in this feast, this is a faith declaration and trust in God for future. Hallelujah. For future harvest, for future blessings. Hallelujah. Now, let's turn to Acts chapter 2, and let's understand a little bit of the backstory of this. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Yes, there, Cindy, I agree. We can't live the Christian life without the power of the Holy Spirit. That is for sure. Hallelujah. All right. In Acts chapter 1, verses 12 through 14, Let's look at the back story so we understand what's going on in Acts chapter 2. It says this in verse 12 of chapter 1 of Acts. Jerusalem, from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey. And when they had entered, they went up to the upper room where they were staying. Peter, James, John, and Andrew, Philip, and Thomas, Bartholomew, and Matthew, James the son of Alphas, and Simon the zealot, and Judas the son of James, These all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication with the women and and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. So here we see the people, and they will be numbered at 120. We see that um, as well. Women, men, everyone was there. And notice this this was Jesus ascended back to heaven the final time on the 40th day of the Omer count. And so there were 10 more days. For them. And notice it says that they were staying there and they were all in one accord. It means that they had passion together or they were unanimous. It talks about the unity that the Holy Spirit brings, the unity of the Spirit. All right. Now that's amazing that the whole church, 120 of them, stayed in unity together for that whole time. So then we come to Acts chapter two, and I'm going to read verses one through four to you, all right? In Acts chapter two, verse one, it says, when the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place and suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire and one sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Hallelujah. All right. So notice, suddenly it was in an unexpected way, just like in Ezekiel chapter one, verse four, there comes this rushing mighty wind, just like the violent whirlwind that Ezekiel saw in chapter one. And the wind is the Ruach, and the Holy Spirit is the Ruach HaKodesh. And then notice there were cloven tongues of fire that appeared upon them. If you look in verse 13 of Ezekiel chapter 1, you will see that there were burning coals and and torches that were were represented there. And they were here because of the the Pentecost Feast observance. All these people were around. The multitude of Jews had gathered to offer their own wheat first fruits to God in the temple. And then in Acts chapter 2 verse 10, it also mentions the proselytes or the Gentiles who had become Jews by converting to Judaism. So here in Acts chapter 2 is the fulfillment. We see two wave loaves of leavened bread, Jews and Gentiles of Human man, human mankind, sinful men, sinful nature within us, we are not sinless. There was only one who was truly unleavened, and that was Jesus Christ, and we've seen that in the past. So it's fitting that on the feast that celebrates the gift of the Holy Spirit to the church and its birth, that God expected leavened loaves. Representing how we are sinful in our nature, yet God forgives us, cleanses us, makes us a brand new offering to him. We become a new grain offering to him, and he fills us with the Holy Spirit and anoints us for his purposes. Hallelujah. They they had these cloven tongues of fire, and those were the declarations of the wonderful works of God in many different languages. And it, they were perplexed. The the people that heard them were perplexed, entirely at a loss, yet they had just come or were in the process of observing the Feast of Pentecost in the temple where Ezekiel chapter one was read. Ezekiel, I believe, in Ezekiel chapter one was transported in the spirit by the Lord into a vision to see the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter two to see the fulfillment of this. And he described it in the only ways he knew to describe it, like a whirlwind coming in with raging clouds of fire and these torches of fire and all of those things that Ezekiel put in there. But it's talking about the fulfillment of the day of Pentecost on in Acts chapter two. Notice also beginning in verse 14, who the one is that stands up as a new offering to the Lord now filled with the Spirit of God, anointed by the Spirit of God, and bold in his witness for the Lord, and that is Peter. He has been sifted as wheat. He is now fine flour that is able to be useful as God's bread to feed the harvest field, to feed the people that are there. Hallelujah. So this is perfectly fitting. It's the wheat harvest. Peter has just come through that sifting process that Jesus predicted and prophesied over him. And now he's ready. He's fine flour, ready to feed people the truth of the word of God. Hallelujah. Notice here that it also happens early in the morning and they think they're drunk. And, and instead, Peter says, no, they're not drunk with wine. They're filled with the spirit. They're, this is the fulfillment of what Joel Chapter 2 said, hallelujah, they are filled with the Spirit of God. God gives him that rhema word, and he is filled with the Spirit to prove that to them. And then notice how Peter has become a brand new man, verses 22 through 36. Now he's boldly declaring Jesus Christ, where a little over a month ago, he had completely denied him, denied even knowing him, and cursed at doing it. And so God has made him a new man. God has changed him through the power of the Holy Spirit of God. And he does the same thing for each and every one of us. Hallelujah. So God gives him a gospel message to proclaim in that sermon. And I encourage you to read it. And if you don't believe in Jesus, read that because that is the truth of the gospel. And you can come to faith in him. Hallelujah. At the end of it, they're asking. They said, okay, so what do we do to be saved? What do we do to be saved? We recognize we're sinners. How can we be saved? Peter says, repent. Repentance is required. Today in our culture, the church does not like to talk about repentance. We don't like to hear that word, but it's still true. It's the truth of God's word. We must repent of our sins when we come to him, and he will draw us, and we are are able to do that, and he will receive our repentance. It's a 180-degree turn. You were headed this way, and you turn around, and now you're headed this way. And you're no longer those old things. Paul tells us that when we come to salvation in Jesus Christ, and we believe in him, old things are passed away. We've become a new creation. We've become a new creature. We've become a new offering to the Lord. This is all about us. It's all about us. And I want to read you this in verse 39 of Acts chapter 2. It says this for the this promise, for the promise is to you and to your children and to all who are afar off, to as many as the Lord your God will call. That's how we know that the power of the Holy Spirit and the day of Pentecost and its fulfillment is still for us today. Because God is still calling people. God is still calling people. We're a far off in number of years from this day of Pentecost recorded in Acts chapter 2. Almost 2,000 years difference. But God is still calling you today. He's still calling me. He's still calling people to himself. And this promise is still for us. There has, There is no limit to it. Hallelujah. And notice that you know the Jews compared it and it was also representing the day of the giving of the Torah on Mount Sinai with the the feast of Pentecost notice that when God gave the Torah on Mount Sinai because of their sin and their rebellion to him in idolatry 3000 people lost their lives here in the renewal of the covenant through the new covenant that has now been renewed and the outpouring of the Holy Ghost, the Holy Spirit of God, and the filling of people with the Spirit of God, 3,000 are now saved. Coincidence? I don't think so. I don't think so. And then in Acts chapter 42, verse 44, it gives us the key and the principle for healthy Christian growth. We're to continue in the Apostles' doctrine, in other words, in the scriptures. They had the Old Testament scriptures, and then they wrote the New Testament scriptures. We're continue. We are to continue in this. It's one book. It's all fit together, and we are to continue in the Word of God. We are to continue in fellowship. We're not to be an idol, an island to ourselves. Church attendance and fellowship with other believers, whenever possible, is is encouraged in the scriptures. That's part of how we develop a healthy godly relationship with the lord is to stay in fellowship we need each other the church needs one another and we need to encourage one another and help each other they also continued in the breaking of bread fellowship meals fellowship meals together and in communion the observance of communion on a regular basis and in prayer which includes prayer as well as praise and worship Supplications and specific requests before the Lord. And so it speaks also that we're to do this in unity, together, continually, praising God, singing his praises. Hallelujah. Notice also, lastly, as we begin to draw to a close here, and I apologize, I I mentioned to you that this was a longer lesson. Notice how now that the Pentecost had come and the wheat harvest of the Lord, the first of the church, through the baptism of the Holy Spirit, came upon them. Now they are able then, according to to the last verses, to go forth and to bring forth the harvest of souls. What did Jesus say when he called his disciples? He said, I'm going to make you fishers of men, the harvest of souls. That's what we're after. That's what God is after. And the apostles Needed the baptism of the Holy Spirit of God. They needed that empowering, that anointing of the Holy Spirit of God to come upon them so that they could go out and bring in a harvest and bring in fruit from their labors to the Lord. And they needed that to be able to bear in in the world eternal fruit, things of eternal value. So now the apostles could feed people with the bread of life and the living water of the Holy Spirit that was now inside of them. So Pentecost shows us what John the Baptist prophesied as well as Jesus. And that was John the Baptist told us that the coming one, the one that was mightier than he was, would come upon us and would baptize us with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Notice that. And when Jesus Sent the Holy Spirit. Remember, he promised it. In the book of John, he promised that the Holy Spirit would come. He promised that he would go away so that he could send the gift of the Holy Spirit of God. And when the Holy Spirit came, that was the fulfillment of that on the day of Pentecost. Hallelujah. And Christ baptized them with the Holy Spirit and with fire. And he does the same for us. Hallelujah and now we've become a brand new offering to the lord hallelujah hallelujah we're a gift to god and we're the gift of god to people praise be to the lamb of god we're a new offering to the lord paul tells us in romans 12:1 that we are to present ourselves a living sacrifice to god we are his gift that he has chosen to use to feed other people his precious word. So notice lastly, as we close up with this study on Pentecost, that it will close out the spring feast cycles, and it sets us up for a break of time between the spring feasts that we've just studied and the fall feasts that are to come in a few short months. And so this break of time in Jewish understanding was four months from the third month which we are celebrating Pentecost in through the seventh month of the fall feast cycle. So the grain harvests are over and now we work toward the fall feast cycle which will celebrate the fruit harvest, hallelujah. And I'd like to end with one final scripture and it's the same one I believe that I ended last week's lesson with and there's a reason because I believe these two are connected It's found in Romans chapter 8, verse 11, and I'd like to leave you with this thought, beloved brothers and sisters in Christ. But if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal body through his spirit. Who dwells in you. I encourage you to be filled, be filled with the Spirit of God. Don't be caught up in wine or in any of the other appeals of the world. Be filled with the Spirit of God. And that same Spirit who raised Christ Jesus from the dead, if He is filling you, if He is dwelling inside of you and living in you, He will give life to your bodies. He will give life to your soul. He will give life to your spirit. He will fill you with life, with joy, with boldness, and with an anointing that will allow you then to go forward in whatever ministry God has called you to do and to have an effective work of ministry and to bring in a harvest to the Lord because it's all about bringing people to Jesus. We are all called and given the same mandate. And that is to be fishers of men, to bring people to know the same Jesus that we know. Thank you for joining me. I pray this has been a blessing to you. I will put in the comments the link to that YouTube video about Peter that I mentioned. And you're welcome to go listen to that and, and look at that if you'd like. And also next week we'll come back together and we'll pick up with the next feast. So let's end with prayer. Father, I thank you for those who've been able to faithfully stick with me, join in, and hear this message. I pray that it will minister true life to those who have needed to hear this, God. I pray that it will work a work of eternal fruit and an eternal harvest for you, Lord. It's all for you. It's all for your glory. I long to see people know you and be filled with the Spirit. Hallelujah. And let you change their lives and make them brand new. So I pray for that blessing to be released right now in Jesus' name. Have your way in Jesus' name. God bless you. And I will see you again, God willing, next week.